This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobba, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration. The purpose of my company is to help business software companies rethink what can be and become remarkable again. The goal that I have with this podcast is to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. So my strong belief is that we can think big, and therefore we should. Doing so will help to create a better world for all of us. This podcast is all about that. My guest on the podcast today is Holger Müller, VP and Principal Analyst at Constellation Research. The, the fascinating thing is that there's always been optimism on the technology side that technology can really now change things. And so to a certain point, it took 15, 20 years for the rest of the technology coming together. But that combination, that cocktail is what makes it so interesting, disruptive, opens uh, challenges and opens opportunities. Um, big data, I think, is very exciting because it gives the enterprise for the first time the chance to store all the information they want without going out of business. There's still so many ways to make our lives more interesting, uh, more more supported, more powered. The most popular AI technology at the moment is neural networks, right? And neural networks are popular because they're not limited, right? And uh, there's a lot of fear of that, of course, that uh, machines might make decisions which cannot be rationalized and understood. This is Holger. Working in his day-to-day job at Constellation Research, he's covering next-generation apps, human capital management, and the future of work, and provides strategy and counsel to clients. Prior to joining Constellation Research, Holger was, amongst others, the VP of Products, at Northgate Dorinzo and Chief Application Architect with SAP, where he worked on strategic projects and next-generation product capabilities in the office of the chairman, Hassel Platner. Holger started his career with Kiefer Invitinger, which he helped to grow from a startup to Europe's largest CRM vendor from 1995 onwards. Today, Holger and I discuss the opportunity that's being presented by the current cocktail of technologies that are coming together. And during this interview, you will learn three things. What can we learn from Japan about our own future? Secondly, how AI will impact decision-making and why it is key that for people to stay involved. And three, what CEOs should do to ensure their company stays relevant. So to get things started, Holger, can you introduce yourself? My name is Holger Müller. I'm with Constellation Research, uh, covering uh, two aspects of what's happening in enterprise software. One of them is future of work, uh, where we work, when we work, how we work, uh, what motivates us to work. Uh, the other one is in the area of uh, platforms and cloud, when enterprise build new software, what are the tools, platforms, best practices, partners, solutions to help them build these applications. Cool. So, I mean, to dive just in there, what drives you when you work? What's your passion? 
Well, the, the passion has been, I used to build software for a long time. It's, it's how to make a difference for an enterprise, right? Before it was uh, with the software my teams would be building, and now it's about the advice and thought leadership you can provide to help enterprises make sense in this uh, interesting, exciting times around uh, technology disruption and technology capabilities. Yeah, and I agree with that. The convergence of technology uh, and the waves that are now there really allow us to think big. Um, I mean, in your day-to-day job, you're looking at the, well, the marketing itself. Have you seen any remarkable examples that are about to make a significant impact to an industry or to particular type of companies or roles? Well, the, the fascinating thing is that there's always been optimism on the technology side that technology can really now change things. And in hindsight, you're always smarter, right? And know, oh, that was missing, that was missing. But at the time, everybody was excited. And I often think back like 20 years ago when everybody thought the internet solves the connectivity problem. Now I can really connect everybody and do all this marketplace work, right? And and none of these market early marketplace companies really succeeded. Now we know that you need much, much more, right? You need um, not just the connectivity, that's just one aspect. You need to have billions of users on smartphones, which we've achieved. You need to have a cloud infrastructure to build and scale down these processes. You need to have big data capabilities to really understand all the signals, all the data relevant to marketplace. You may need something like blockchain to enable um, trusted transactions on that. And you may need something like AI machine learning. The good news is that now we don't know what else would you need to do it. So to a certain point, it took 15, 20 years for the rest of the technology coming together. But that combination, that cocktail, is what makes it so interesting, disruptive, opens uh, challenges and opens opportunities. Do you see any, like I said, remarkable examples that are already taking that blend of cocktail to the next level? They're, They're pretty much all remarkable by itself, right? I mean, we take smartphones for granted right now, but if you look at the smartphone has overtaken capacity-wise, the PC you would have two, three years ago, and I think there's a survey like 30% of mankind still use every day as a PC. If they would buy a new smartphone, had a new smartphone, and it's more capable, we take those things for granted, right? So it's the combination. It's not a single one. It's a combination of all of this together, coming together, being tied together by the cloud, um, big data, I think, is very exciting because it gives the enterprise for the first time the chance to store all the information they want without going out of business. You don't have to be a deep-pocketed government to get this done. And that's a crucial thing which many people forget, without knowing what questions you may want to ask about that data. That yeah, was true. never be before, right? If you always, the answer was always data warehouse. It would take you two, three years to build. If you had changes and changes happen faster than ever before, it would take two, three months. And if you're lucky, maybe two, three weeks to adapt and change that. So, so that's where the, the breakthrough of the big data running on spinning rust often in the cloud and answering any questions you want. It might take a moment, but uh, you can get any answer, question answered, which is in your data, which is really becoming the other thing we realize that not so much process, but data is the power, right? Many people saying data is in your oil and so on. Yeah. True. Yeah, exactly. You, you touched upon things like uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning. And obviously, the data is, is the fuel or the oil to, to run that. From, from my perspective, there are two categories of, of solutions. There are the solutions around automation, where it really helps to, to make things go faster and with less human touch. And there's the augmentation aspect. Then there is, of course, a lot of debate in the marketplace about uh, bots going to take our jobs. What's your view on this? What do you see around augmentation and, and automation in respect to that? Well, I, I'm an optimist, right? I think um, um, 
there's still so many ways to make our lives more interesting, uh, more more uh, supported, more powered. Uh, I don't think we're long long ways away from um, being taken away by the machines or the big brother, right? And one thing which made me personally very optimistic, I have a friend who lives in Japan and uh, Japan is, uh, has an aging population, right? Something which is happening now for most of the first world, North America, Western Europe, where we're moving from six working people to one retired person to two people working to one retired person. That requires tremendous efficiency increases um, to keep up society as we know it. And I, I saw that note from my friend in Japan who lives in a medium-sized town, 30,000 people, uh, not for the grocery store, but for specialty stores like, like a hardware store, like a shoe store, um, anything which is not like like the main main mainstream part the shops are not open the whole day anymore there's not enough shopkeepers right so uh, one shop is open eight to ten then the shopkeeper goes on break moves to the next shop opens the next one ten thirty to twelve thirty does lunch break then one thirty to three thirty and then uh, four to six is the last one open if he's not lucky he has to go to town four times and so that's that's the lack of uh, human capabilities. And if you look further to Japan, right, where you see 70 years old people building, constructing houses because they don't have enough construction workers. And you see uh, 70 year olds helping out in uh, retirement homes and moving the 90 year olds from bed to bed as they need help with that. And how they do that with technology, right? They use exoskeletons uh, to make you lift heavy weights in your 70s without any significant damage because otherwise human mankind isn't built to, to live that long, right? We, they couldn't do that. So I think the technology augmentation, critical and fearing people should all go to Japan and take a look. Also interesting in Japan, right? As you went on, the Japanese would prefer to have a robot service you than a human, right? Because, really? yeah, in, in all surveys, because the robot is reliable, privacy is controlled, right? It's interesting, right? That you fear of a human person violating privacy more likely or being open to chatter and to see something you shouldn't see, whereas the robot not. And, and it's always there. It's 24 by 7, right? So uh, I think very indicative um, in, in a very technology phobic to a certain point, very traditional society like the Japanese society, we can see what's happening, will be happening with us. And that's what makes me optimistic in that regards. Yeah, at the end, that proves again that artificial intelligence and automation creates is really necessary because there are not enough people anymore. And mm -hmm. I realize indeed that Japan is one of the countries where this is most extreme, but there are other countries also in the Western world where the, the aging population is growing in, with rapid pace. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah one country more than the other, but definitely is going to be a problem over time for, for all of us. Yeah, but um, I just ran across an interesting uh, statistic, uh, which uh, I can share that with you. It's an animation even from the world something body. Uh, it, it shows that Japan is only 50 years ahead of, of India. India has the same problem prediction-wise from aging population, only that we don't see that problem yet. Uh, it's only 50 years out. Yeah, so yeah. aging population is going to be, and need for automation is going to be a massive part. And we take so many things for granted, right? I mean, remember people wouldn't trust navigation helps and cars and other parts, right? Because they know the way better. And there's no question about this anymore. Yeah, yeah exactly. So talking about AI and creation, creation of jobs, have you seen solutions out there in the market already where... Uh, or scenarios where companies are using that are actually doing this, creating more jobs than replacing them? 
creating it's it's well different jobs are being created and time is being saved right so it's very hard to track like what do people do with the additional time that they don't stand in traffic right it's not necessarily going to give them a new job uh, but that they might use their time for a better life quality better work life balance um many aspects uh, which are very hard to track right so um, i think there's we're not yet at the point of saying where the impact is there i think again japan might be very close to that if you look at uh, how many robots are helping people who need care in house <laughs> correct yeah i was, was reading a, an interview where you were quoted uh, i'm not sure which which article it was but it was a quote by you said in a business environment ai can become a good grader if a decision is great or an okay idea or a stupid idea and that is coming from the top yeah. Do you remember that quote? The, the, the fear, the point is right now is, um, the, the, well, let's, let me step back, right? The most popular uh, AI technology at the moment is neural networks, right? And neural networks are popular because they're not limited, right? And as we looked at it before, the unlimited data, so I cannot have a data scientist sit down for two, three months, build a model on the data of two, three months past, right? There has to be something which dynamically can grow and live with data. That's what neural networks in software harnesses as deep neural networks can do. The problem that we have is that uh, you cannot rationalize why the neural network says A or B, right? So it's, it's a neural network, right? You can follow the paths, but they, it just build itself based on data I had before. And uh, there's a lot of fear of that, of course, that uh, machines might make decisions which cannot be rationalized and understood. But to be fair, first of all, if you look at the traditional data scientist, I would say 95% of the people looking at the decision have not the mathematical background to rationalize it. They just trust the person to do the right thing. And then yeah. secondary, that's where we come to the quote is, um, we as humans, we are so good at right away making a decision. If a decision which comes from somebody else is good, bad, maybe okay, or completely forget about it, right? And in the enterprise setting, there's so many decisions which are made all the way up on the top, communicated typically because asynchronous via email. And we right away have a gut feel thing of great idea, bad idea, maybe can work, stupid again, and so on. So the same thing will happen when a machine makes a reaction to you. And it doesn't matter if it uses a very well understood uh, scoring algorithm, which you can rationalize and say, why did the machine do that? I don't think business users will care about that. They will just say, is it a good decision? I run with it. Is it an okay decision? Maybe I run with it. If it's a bad decision, bad. If it doesn't work well two or three times, you don't use it again. It's over, right? We see that with voice recognition, speech recognition, right? Nobody managed to use Siri beyond a certain point. So fascinating situation. I think I'm not worried about the machines making the decision as long as it's not automated because we have such a good gut feel for decisions handed down on us. And that's what the interview was about. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Well, um, I know that you're pressured on time. I mean, you look at the, the broad spectrum of what, about what's happening. For a CEO, there's, of course, a lot of decisions that need to be taken. What advice would you give a CEO to stay relevant in the next, next year? Advice for a CEO to say, well, well, that's a great question. Advice for the CEO would really to get more technology savvy. Uh, would be really, if you're not really deep entrenched in technologies, to, to really go to your trusted technology people and say, if, if I doubled your budget, what could you do, right? Just, just do the offside, dream about what's possible, speak to other companies who are faster because the, the pace of how companies have to react and have to move is significantly faster than the past. And I strongly believe that every organization has a certain organizational speed, how fast it can move, right? Like public sector usually moves a little slower, uh, private economy a little faster, 
Retail has to move faster than capital goods because of procurement times, manufacturing times. There's lots of typical things in the industry, but in general, it moves faster. And in order to be faster, um, you have to increase the speed capability of your enterprise. You may not want to drive at maximum speed all the time, but you have to get more CCs if you want to use a car, more, more horsepower under the hood of your enterprise. And technology is is the main tool and people organization is the other tool, right? So what can you do? So the question has to go to your technologist. What could happen if I double your budget or what could we do? And to really rethink your people processes because people are still relevant for this overall system process right so excellent good advice and i agree with that so thank you for your time and your input on this uh, podcast holger my pleasure Tom. and for everybody else thank you for tuning into this podcast i had the honor today to speak to holger muller vp and principal analyst at constellation research if you want to know more about holger you can find him in a number of ways first of all there's twitter and his twitter handle is at holger mu then there is of course linkedin then there is the Constellation Research website, which you can find at www.constellationr.com. And last but not least, his blog, Enterprise Software Musing, which you can find at enswmu.blogspot.com. The goal of this podcast is to share compelling ideas and showcases to inspire what can be when technology and people blend in the right way. It's my strong belief that too much focus is put on automating people out of a process, in other words, cutting costs, rather than scenarios where the unique strength of people are augmented with technology to change the established rules and to deliver a value that was unimaginable before. So, with this podcast, I want to make a contribution to change this, to create a broader awareness of what can be, to accelerate the adoption by bringing together you, a tribe of like-minded people and organizations, and lastly, to accelerate the initiatives and solutions that could be created because one idea inspires the other. So if you know about stories that are worth sharing, please send me a message. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas, and that starts with you. If you want to have more information, read my blogs, or obtain information on working with me, just visit me on my website, valueinspiration.com. Thank you for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast or provide me with your feedback. I'll see you shortly in a new episode. That's what... Ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware. When your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.